Hey, what is up, guys? Today's episode is brought to you by the incredible sponsors of the program, ChemicalFreeBody.com. If health and wellness is a priority for you, then check out the incredible products over at ChemicalFreeBody. Plant-based nutritional supplements from Super Greens, my favorite, with all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients, and micronutrients in just one single scoop. Toss it in your glass of water, your shake, your smoothie, however you want to do it. They also have other incredible products, gut detoxers, anti-inflammatories, immune boosters, and so much more. ChemicalFreeBody.com and check out that promo code, it's me, all one word, it's me for discounts at your checkout. And look, we have so many different insurance policies in our life. And if the last couple years has taught you anything, it taught me that storable food needs to be on that list. Prepare with itsme.com, the incredible products over at My Patriot Supply. They have four-week supply of food, three-month supply, all products with up to a 25-year shelf life. Have the peace of mind, ladies and gentlemen, of having storable food and have that supply on deck. It's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. And uh, if you have, you know, shaving needs like nice chrome domes like me, SkullShaver.com is a whole new concept in face and head shaving. The products offered over there include men's head shavers, face shavers, hair clippers, and trimmers. And ladies, we haven't forgot about you with the butterfly kiss. And we also have a large selection of accessories to make your life that much more simple. All of the shavers come with uh, removable, washable blades made of premium Japanese stainless steel to ensure flawless results. It just makes it so much easier. You can get your shaving done anytime, anywhere, in or out of the shower. It gets no better. Skullshaver.com, front slash discount, front slash it's me. All of the links to these incredible products will be in the description of this episode. So without further delay, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the show. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. And once again, we are off to the races. Another episode for the archives on this August 16th year of our Lord, 2022. And I'm so very thankful for this gentleman taking the time today. We had to reschedule a couple of times because, of course, he had to get his teeth cleaned. And now his chompers are fresh and so clean. He is a former actor, producer, manager over at Creative Artists. He is Max Mullion, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. What's up, Max? How's it going? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Can't complain. No one wants to hear it anyway, of course. So much to complain right. about, but you know, who wants to hear it? I was just watching, I was just saying uh, before we got started, I was watching his movie, and we're going to talk about it. His, like he said, it's his baby. It's Tony Tango. It's absolutely freaking hilarious, man. But um, <clears throat> I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. So, I mean, obviously now, I mean, you've obviously went through several incarnations here in the entertainment biz. Started out uh, as an actor and moved into several different roles you played, but now, like I said, manager manager over at uh, Creative Artist. When when did you start out, man? When did the bug bite you to uh, jump into the acting game? So I guess you know, as a kid, I did the little musicals. I was like the King and I, and everything like that. And in high school, I wasn't allowed to be part of the theater program because I was also part of the AV program. So I made these goofy little videos for school. This was before uh, you know YouTube and all that stuff. I was making these goofy little videos, and I put the the head librarian in one of the videos, and I guess I maybe insulted him or something. And then it turned out he was the director of all the Ooh. school plays, so he never cast me in anything. So I was like, oh, cancel okay. culture got you back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, I got canceled real early. So, and then um, in college, I started 
at an acting school in South Florida called the Acting School of South Florida. And I just fell in love with improv and joined a, a Miami improv team called Just the Funny. And as soon as I was like, I'm going to graduate college and I'm going out to L.A. But it all started from there. And you've done yeah. you've done quite a bit. I mean, I mean, you, your list on your IMDb is, you know, quite lengthy. What, what are some of your more prominent roles? I believe you were one of the uh, three musketeers in a commercial. Sure, sure. My, <laughs> my, my, my commercial history is is long. Uh, I was uh, in kayak. I was a kayak guy. It was a Heineken commercial, a Dodge Ram commercial. I was one of the three musketeers as a commercial. Um, my, although my favorite IMDb credit, mm -hmm. actually I have two. One uh, was my first IMDb credit, and I got credited as a zombie in ah. uh, a movie called Vam Vampire Zombies from the Hood or some <laughs> mutant, mutant Vampire Zombies from the Hood. Was it and zombie got, one or two? Did you have a number, like zombie one, just zombie? I, probably chubby zombie or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> But I was so proud that I got a zombie credit because I love zombie films. Of course. Who doesn't? Yeah. So, I mean, as you move forward, like I've been in the game for a little while and, you know, really started out. I started out in production. It was behind the scenes for several years and I always wanted to do voiceover work. So I got a voiceover reel and started doing voiceover work. And my agent was like, all right, you're not hideous. So maybe some headshots. And it kind of was <laughs> moved on from there. But and it's moved. You know, I've done. Mostly commercial stuff, some industrial stuff, a little bit of, of everything. So, I mean, as you, is that something you recommend to up and coming actors? Kind of dip your toes in all different sides of the game. Oh yes, 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 yes. As an up and coming actor, if you don't have a like a safety job or, or you're tired of waiting tables or being a bartender or something like that or driving for Uber, which I used to drive for Uber and walk dogs and a bunch of other you know little jobs here and there, but get a nice recording little booth. You can just put up mattresses in your closet, get a nice mm -hmm. mic and get a nice VO reel. Cause you can go to like voice one, two, three and get about 17 auditions a day and they don't pay a lot, but you know, if you can crank out pretty fast, your auditions, like you can book some, some voiceover gigs that pay, you know, pay upwards from 100 to $500. Yeah. Just a, it, they, you get a lot of auditions though. You're gonna have to crank through those, and um, and definitely commercials. Like, why wouldn't you do commercials? That's that's free money. Yeah. I rep a few people who re refuse to do commercials, and I have to sit down, sit them down, and be like, "You're missing out on like thirty, forty grand extra a year. Like, what are you doing?" I mean, who doesn't want to be like the lady from Snapple or from Progressive or Jake from State Farm? Like, come on, dude, that bread is long. <laughs> Sure, sure. Now, now those those are rarer and rarer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I do understand people not wanting to. In in Los Angeles, you, you would always have to drive down to Ocean Park, which was down in Santa Monica. So if you were coming from Hollywood or the Valley, it was a 45, 50 minute drive, and inevitably you'd get a 5 p.m. audition on a Friday. So that would be a two hour drive. Mm, so I understand geez. why some actors don't want to drive down there. I get it. But I mean, it's all. I mean, is it not all? I mean, not, whatever. It's all the journey, but it's all part of the grind of a building your resume, getting some set familiarity and booth familiarity. I mean, of in course. this, I, I saw some of your videos. You know, you had done your. I think it was keeping it real, where you were just kind of, oh. kind of giving tips on the game, really. But that, I mean, that's when I was was an actor. I, I made those little things as an actor, and I was just like, or, or, or interning for Barry Katz and still an actor. And I, so many people would ask me, "How do you, how do you do this? How do you do that?" And I was like, "I." 
better just make these silly little videos and, and just link link it to people well and it's one of those things where it's like i don't know man it this game will test your metal everyone everyone wants to do a star be a star until it's time to do the work to become a star you're not going to come out of the box booking you know the next batman and nobody really wants to do the grind and honestly it's as you were talking about like should i join sag should i not join sag all of these voice one two three all of these things i think are absolutely imperative to familiarizing yourself with the game etc and so when you do get in sag you're ready to go right yeah just really try everything because you might fall into something that's really profitable and something you love and then you're off to the races and you're in your you're making a great living and you're doing something you love at the same time you can also you know try to climb the ladder booking your co-stars booking your guest stars getting series regular things like that yeah absolutely when you mentioned uh interning for barry Katz, what was that how do you how do you land that and how invaluable was that to gaining oh. your knowledge to the game so i consider barry Katz my mentor kind of like a father figure he was at a film festival, the L.A. Comedy Film Festival, and my movie didn't get in there, but a director saw my movie, and she's like, come watch my movie at this festival. So I was like, cool, no problem. So I went to support her, and she's like, this is Barry Katz. He, he reps my movie, and Barry's like, oh, you made a movie? Let me see it. So I sent it to him, and he called me immediately. He's like, I love your movie. I'd like to rep your movie. And I was like, well, we already have a distributor and all this stuff. We're kind of like at the end game of distribution but I was like, I wrote it, I produced it, I starred in it. I was like, why don't you rep me? And he's like, well, how many pilots have you booked? And I had only been in Los Angeles like five or six years. So I, you know, might have read a co-star for a pilot or something like that. I was like, nothing. And he's like, well, you don't have a career to manage. I was like, I was like ouch. How? But, but I was like. Why was pilots? What that? What that's weird. That pilots was the litmus test. How many pilots? You, yeah, he, he you, you had done pilots. your own movie and produced it and started it, but pilots? Uh, it's, it's all a numbers game, and I, I was just like, look, you found Dave Chappelle, and you put Tracy Morgan on SNL, and you rep Sherry O'Terry, and I'm like, I wanted to get to SNL, so I was like, let me just learn from you. Yeah, he was shooting a podcast, and I was like, look, I'll figure out how to run your audio equipment, and I'll shoot all your video whatever you need. I'll, I'll back up all your files. I'll become your podcast producer. And I became his intern and podcast producer. And I was with him for five or six years. And that's another thing people really, and that's not even just the acting game, just life in general, like how, how one relation, they always say don't burn bridges. Cause you never know how one relationship could beget beget another larger relationship, which facilitates your career. And that's yeah. obviously huge. I mean, Good, good, good words go a, a long way in Hollywood, but uh, bad words go, you know, just as just as long. But yeah. yeah. And I mean, as I said, yeah, always take the chance to, you know, it may not be the ideal gig, but man, you just never know where one thing could lead to another thing. So tips to actors out there. Not that I'm, you know, I don't nominate for an Oscar or anything, but I've learned the value of, of, of relationships and maintaining relationships. So, yeah. And, and if you have the time find a mentor find somebody that you can sort of shadow or just dedicate a weekend a month or a weekend a week or something a few days just so they start to trust you and feel comfortable with you and, and bring you along to things like i've been to the montreal comedy festival i think three or four times and it's it's just been an, an invaluable experience yeah without a doubt man so i mean obviously you know as you evolved in the game you know as an actor and then you moved into the how was that transition from moving? I guess you kind of 
stopped acting but what was that like the transition from moving from an actor to a producer to now a manager i knew it was time when i i was interning or assisting or junior managing for barry and i got this eight page guest star audition and i don't know about you but i have trouble memorizing i'm a little dyslexic sometimes i'll forget entire monologues and it's it's just really stressful for me and it was eight pages it was a guest star and i was like there's no way in hell I'm going to get this done by Friday because it came in late Wednesday. And I, I called up one of my friends and I said, hey, you're better suited for this role than I am. And casting wouldn't give him the audition. So I was like, why don't you just audition and we'll submit you under my name. And then when casting, <laughs> that, like, I'll take the heat. I'll just say it was an accident. We uploaded the wrong files. No big deal. So he's like, fine. So we, hold on, let me send that to voicemail. Okay, I'm back. So he auditioned. Casting immediately calls me. They're like, who is this? And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. We, we uploaded the wrong tape. I was like, but <laughs> did you like the tape? And they're like, well, yes, he's, he's going to producers. And I was wow. like, okay, good, good, good. He ended up not booking it, but he ended up making a friend at that office. And I knew I had more joy knowing that he got closer to booking something huge than if I would have booked it. Yeah. I was like, now it's time to like take off the actor pants. I had to turn in my SAG card to become a, a, a full-fledged manager and convince breakdown services that I was no longer associated with acting, et cetera, and things like that. Really? Interesting. Yes. They are very strict about no actors are allowed to have access to breakdowns. Huh. Wow. When You're supposed get... to, but yeah. I, I've heard of... Of course, uh, husband and wife teams that, you know, the, the husband is an actor and the wife is a manager. Of course, like little, little insider inside yes. baseball there. And that's what's another thing that's so, you know, it, all these people who want to be potential actors again, who, who want to be actors until it's time to really put in the work, you will be tested. And one of those one of those kind of tests are last second auditions for, with, you know, like you said, eight page monologues that you have to. I mean, it, it, it winds up testing your metal. And that's why. You know, you see so many people on camera. Oftentimes, they're so freaking awesome because you know they're they're trained. You know, it's not just something yeah. they just do because I, you know, I was on TikTok, I, so now I want to be an actor. I tell people all the time, I'm like, unless you're training like you're in the NFL, you're going up against the best of the best for these auditions. So don't half-ass anything. Yeah. If you don't coach on your bigger auditions, if you don't have strong choices, if you don't know how to do a script breakdown, I'm like, you're shooting yourself in the foot. And you're 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 getting canceled from these offices before you even know what happened. So like, yeah, train hard. Yeah, without a doubt, man, without a doubt. And that's you know, I've you wind up learning the hard way to some degree. But I mean, it, it winds up weeding, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff. But it's that's that's the process, man. That's yeah. the process. So the movie you were referring to, and I was just watching. I got about I got about ten minutes left. You guys are just hitting the MLDC competition. Oh my god, Tony Tango, man! It's so. How did that come about, man? I I'm I was dying. Not to, it's not a spoiler, but in your opening scene, you're talking to the host of the show. His name is Dick, whatever, and you're like, "Well, Mr. Penis." That's <laughs> like <laughs> I was rolling. What, how did Tony Tango come about? So my friend and, and writing partner and business partner and then my, my basically best friend in Los Angeles, his name is Andres de Oliveira, uh, we sat down together and we were trying to figure out, like, do we do YouTube stuff? Do we make sketches? Are we going to shoot short films? Like, what's, what's lacking in the comedy world? 
And I was like, well, when's the last time a, a, a ballroom dance comedy came out? Because we had been watching a lot of Nacho Libre and a lot of Blades of Glory. And we just kind of combined those two movies. And we, we wrote this really rough 120-page script. It was just him and I. And we're not writers, but we, you know, we read all the books, Save the Cat, Save the Cat 2, Story. <laughs> we read all the books and we're like, okay, let's write this thing. And it was 120 pages of just dick jokes, dick and poop jokes. And I was like, well, let's hire a real writer who's going to give this thing arc and, you know, A, B and C plots yeah. and things like that. And we, we, we gave it to a, a wonderful writer and he spent a year on it with the director and us giving notes and rewrites and things like that. And we had this script and I was like, well, let's try to raise money and, and get this thing shot. And uh, that's what we did. Yeah. It's definitely well worth your time. And your, your co co-star uh, Sergio Luis Anderson uh, is definitely worth the time. She's quite easy on the eyes and it's, it's absolutely hilarious. I'm sorry. Go ahead. She is amazing. Uh, I wouldn't have looked like such a great dancer if it wasn't for her because she was such a professional dancer and an amazing actress that she kind of carried me with her. And I was like, oh, thank God we found this this, this actress. Well, in that scene, again, it's not giving anything away, but when you first, you're trying to get her to dance with you for the competition, she's like, no, you're chubby, you're big boned, or however you guys want to describe it. Like when you first look through that window, I'm just, and I see her, I'm like, holy crap, you dance. Like that's, she's not just an actor. She's clearly a trained dancer. Yes, yeah, that was hard to cast. Uh, a, a trained dancer and a wonderful actress, and she just married both of them together so nicely. Yeah, so if you guys check it out, I think it's on. I, do you guys can you recommend where to find it? Would you like the full story of how distribution kind of? Uh, no, absolutely. Kicked me square in the testicles. Sure. Okay. Yes. So, where do I start? Okay, we. I went to AFM down at the Lowe's Hotel in Santa Monica. And I had this big dance trophy with uh, a sculpture of Tony Tango on top. And I was walking around AFM and, you know, it was a conversation starter. People were like, oh, what's that? And I was like, oh, it's a dance trophy. I'm like, oh, are you a dancer? I'm like, yes, and I have a dance movie. So I'd be like, here's, here's our card, here's everything. And I ended up pitching this Tony Tango to a room full of like 400 attendees and like six massive producers like these people produce like big films like superman and stuff like that wow and i went up on on stage and they were asking me a bunch of questions and the crowd was cheering us on and everyone was so excited and they're like this is a great movie who is your star and i said don't worry about it we don't need funding it's already done filming we're in post uh and i'm the star and all the producers kind of like shook their head they're like oh who are you? <laughs> I was like, uh, my name's Max, and I just finished a huge movie in China that should be coming out at the same time as this movie, so we can use the publicity from that huge international film to carry this film, too. And they're like, yeah, you should have cast Jack Black. And I was like, well, I don't have Jack Black money. No doubt. So anyways, that kind of bummed us out a little bit. But whatever, we already funded everything, so we did a year post. And we go back to AFM the next year to sell it because we had this product. And, and we had a, by that time, we had a sales agent. And we get there, and there's a film called Cuban Fury, which was an exact duplicate of my film. And it starred Nick Frost. And he's a star. 
and he's a chubby dancer. If you look up Cuban Fury on Google, we have the same poster. The plot points are very similar. He gets a, a disheveled, uh, a disgraced dancer to teach him how to dance to get the girl. Like It's very formulaic, the, the storyline, but it crushed us because they were asking for $500,000 and we were asking for a $500,000. And of course, Nick Frost's going to get it. He's a, he's a star. So unfortunately, that film sold. Oh. We got this bogus deal where we had to give 30% of our profits to the company. Plus, they needed to make a certain amount back. I think it was like 35 grand or something like that. So they made that back in international sales. And it went to video on demand. And then the company went bankrupt. So then another company bought the whole catalog of this company and had our film for an entire year before we really understood what was happening. So we contacted this company and they're like, oh yeah, 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 we love your film. We love that scene where you're surfing. <laughs> and I'm like, there's no surfing in our <laughs> film. And they're like, yeah, whatever. So oh my God. A few years later, we were asking for like, you know, our progress reports, like how much money is this money? How much money is this movie earning? And they're like, not much, not much for us to even like report to you. And I'm like, I understand. And then they went bankrupt. So I signed a 10-year contract in 2012. So I finally have the rights back to my movie. And I'm just going to throw it up on, you know, Apple Play or, you know, all the streaming services, Amazon. Like I might reach out to Hulu and be like, hey, you guys want a 10-year-old film that didn't make a dollar? It's hilarious though, bro. So that was us learning not to really fuck, pontificate or brag about the movie you're making to, to a room full of producers because they will. But that's, that's the, yeah. But I mean, again, <clears throat> they had, I mean, I don't know, man. Fortune favors the bold, right? So it's like, you gotta, you gotta roll the dice. The worst they could say is no. What do they say? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And it's like, it sucks that some of those producers or some of those people who buy products, you know, oh, you're not X, Y, Z. I mean, all of these actors had to start somewhere. You know, Leonardo, I mean, name them. They had to start somewhere. And some of those, some of those movies become like absolutely hidden gems that, you know, go on. And it, again, it, some of these amazing careers had to start somewhere. And it sucks that some of these producers and people who buy products don't, aren't willing to roll the dice, if you will, unless you're some established commodity. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. And that's what I kind of want to ask now. It's, it, it's, and you got your pulse way more on it than I do. When, are how many of these movies and how many of these roles are being booked by quote unquote not literally TikTokers, but like social media influencers? Influencers. How many people who have a million followers on this or that social platform? Like, wow, wow. We, you may not be able to act for shit, but you can, you know, by get by booking you, we can utilize your platform and your viewership. How much is that? So- how much of that's going on right now? So network, they don't give a shit. Like if you have 5 million TikTok followers, it doesn't matter. If you can't act, you're not getting on network. Right. And network has the star power and the money to not even worry about that. True. But indie films do look at that stuff. Like, you know, you cast a TikTok star in your your indie film, your horror film or something like that there's a good possibility that maybe 1% of their followers will buy the film and 1% of 4 million is enough to cast somebody. That makes sense. 
Yeah, that truly makes it. But that, that's more the like you said, that's more the exception than the norm, especially when it comes to major motion pictures, network, etc. Right. When it comes to studio films and network shows and stuff like that, it's mostly IMDb power and recognizability within a demographic that still watches television. So, you know, yeah, 30, 30 to 70, you know, sure, sure. When as a manager, as you see, I mean, again, because everyone wants to be a star, I keep saying this, but as a manager who gets submitted with stuff all the time, do you, what's your like deciphering process on who you sign? Is it like how deep your resume is? Do you see potential? I mean, did, I mean, a lot of and the conversations of like, all right, you, you look great and I see potential in you, but, you know, are you really willing to do the work kind of thing? What's your criteria? So what I look for is, if somebody comes to me and they have like six or seven reoccurring guest stars and a bunch of co-stars and like, you know, 20 years worth of credits and like, you know, five, six, seven, ten 10 years, I get worried. And I'm like, Oh, what are you doing? Contacting me? Like I should be out there hunting you. Hmm. Why are you looking for new rep? So that makes me think that that, actor or actress might be difficult or there might be a lull or maybe they dropped off and their their representation can't get them any work because they won't do co-stars or reoccurring co-stars they only mm. want series regulars and if you only want series regulars you might only get like five auditions a year period so i look for people I'll, I'll watch. They have these like showcases that they put up on breakdowns that like this college has this showcase and I'll just look at the headshot and I'm like, do I have this demographic? Does this person fit maybe a hole that I don't have? And can I sell this person? Then I'll look at their resume and their headshots and I'm like, is this professional? Are they natural in their real? Do they feel really nervous slating? Like all that stuff sort of comes into my my brain right. and i'm like ah okay i can tweak this person and sort of fix their headshots and, and, and edit their reel a certain way so when casting sees that submission they're like sleazy guy i know that guy right away he's a like, 20 <laughs> sleazy guy boom we're gonna we're gonna call him in instead of them being like guy with brown hair who's relatively attractive right like, right how many people like they, they get seven thousand submissions yes. per one co-star like, you got to be more specific. So yeah. I, I like to go in there and find new people or, 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 or medium-leveled people and make them really, really, really specific so casting can yeah. automatically see them. So that's interesting. So you don't mind, you know, at least entertaining the idea of more novices in the game because, like you said, super established with a deep resume, you know, it's red flags for you. And that makes sense because it's like, I mean, you're you're still killing it too, but it's like obviously it's not William Morris or whatever. And if you're like, wow, you got this huge resume, why are you talking to me? But that's cool that you're willing to to still at least work with people who are new to the game because that kind of helps you out. Yeah, I, I love. Basically, it comes down to personality. I tell all my actors to follow me on Instagram, and I follow them, and I really like to get a sense of who they are and and how they are when they're not acting because yes. I know they bring that into the character maybe willingly or unwillingly so I I know how to sell them better you know that makes sense absolutely I mean and as a manager you want to be able to do I mean 
you're helping them by helping cultivate, like you said, their personality and bringing out the best in them because it doesn't serve you to, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, I, coming up as an actor, I, I, I had a manager that I maybe emailed once every six months and they had no idea who I was. And I was just fat actor to them, you know, like, <laughs> oh, just send Megs out for the fat guy or stoner, fat stoner roles. And like they had no idea who I was. And, you know, it was it was a waste of time for both parties. It's a tough game to navigate, man. I mean, I, I'm just doing it from my end, from the talent side of it. And, like, hearing your and I have a good friend who was a studio executive at Paramount who actually is I, – I, well, not to get too deep into it, but he's starting – he's doing a movie. He's wrote a screenplay. Then it's got a, it's greenlit, and he's co-producing it. And uh, But, I mean, he's been in the game a really long time, and it's just – when he was working for – he was a head of development for Robert Evans, and people don't know who Robert Evans, rest in peace. He uh, – Chinatown Godfather – I went into his office one time and he just had stacks and stacks and stacks of scripts. I'm like, bro, not one of these. You can't work with that. And he's like, no, not really. It's like it's it's tough to really get good product out there. But um, so and I, I if I'm correct here, as I I don't want to keep you too long, but as I'm researching you as a producer, you did a documentary and I. <sighs> This this I used to do a show called The Conspiracy Farm. We don't deal with that stuff anymore, but we dabble. We dabble sure. a little bit. And sure. what started me down that rabbit hole as a young man was the Kennedy assassination. Ah, okay. And I've been, you know, I'm an older man now. I'm going to be at my birthday's to, eh, two days from now. But as a 16, thank you, sir. As a 16, 17 year old kid, it blew, no pun intended, blew my mind. The true story of that. But anyway, you produced a documentary called I Killed JFK, which I I heard it existed, actually, but I will be watching it tonight. And you were uh, focusing on a gentleman by the name of, uh, first name, it was Files, right? Yes, that sounds familiar. I think it's James Files. So he's supposedly the guy who shot, who behind the... Uh, the yes, yes. On the, on the grassy knoll, took the headshot. Um, I've heard it's another guy named Roscoe White, but whatever. You did this documentary. What started that? And I mean, we're I'm I'm so sprung and my ears are wide open right now because I'm so anxious to hear how you got All into right. this. How did you get into that and how that documentary come about? As a young intern for Barry Katz, he comes up to me and he goes, I have a film that I need help selling. And I go, OK, what's it about? And he's like, it's the JFK documentary. And I was like, oh, I happen to know a lot about that stuff. Oh, I, love, I love conspiracy and I'm like, what can I do to help you get this together? And he's like, I have all this footage and all these uh, um, uh, testimonials and all, all these all this stuff that I need sort of built into a film. So another uh, intern or assistant, his name is Vincent Pastor, we got together. We started editing all this stuff and going through, you know, slogging through all the footage and scrubbing all the footage and putting it all together. And we basically reached out to all the people we have in that film and we were like, we need to get you on tape. So we had to figure out the logistics of either flying to where they were or sending them web cameras and figuring out if their internet was strong enough to send, not 4K footage, but at least HDM, uh, 1080p HD yeah. footage. And we got, you know, Barry in a, in, a, in a theater and we shot him interviewing all the people. We, we had the, uh, the girlfriend of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Judith Baker. 
Yeah. I inter- we interviewed her on the farm, man. But conspicuously, the sound wasn't quite right, so we were never able to publish it, and we never oh. we never were able to interview her, interview her again. But she's an amazing human being. Very interesting yeah. story. She was sort of hard to nail down. She's like, I can't tell you where I live, and I don't want you to know anything about me. And <laughs> which was funny because she's like, you don't know where I am, you don't know where I'm gonna be. But next weekend, I'll be at the blah, blah, blah in Vegas answering the, questions. The JFK like, seminar, yeah. That's when you're going to get assassinated, you know? Like, I'm like, you can't be just being so secretive and then being like, by the way, come to my concert. <laughs> yeah, know? so Judith, I mean, people don't know, I mean, whatever. Judith Baker, she got, like, uh, recruited out of high school at, like, 17 or 18 by the CAA because she was able to pull, I think it was, magnesium out of seawater or something out of seawater where she was some something some something having to do with chemistry or biochemistry and then she moved to new orleans and supposedly was basically oswald and david fairy were her handlers and it's it's a very interesting interesting story very interesting and then the one thing that really blew me away is the the, the guy in jail the guy who took the, the shot from the grassy knoll he's like yeah i put a bullet up on this wall and as I set my I set my ammunition there, and then after I took the shot, you know, I took off, blah blah blah. But he's like, I forgot that bullet there, and they said in the police report that they saw a bullet on my. I was like, man, that's like I know that. Like, that's wild, man. Bunch of weird, weird coincidences and weird things. That was a that was an interesting slash really hard thing to produce. I, I was just an associate producer for Barry, but that was his baby, the JFK thing. Well, and that's cool. I mean, as long as that story's been around, I mean, I'm glad to see people still. I mean, 9/11. I mean, there's so many, like you said, so many different conspiracies that have so many legs that hopefully will last the test of time. But as a kid, man, it really blew my freaking mind. Again, no pun intended. It's just like, how can the president of the United States be killed, basically publicly executed, sitting next yeah. to his wife under right. dubious circumstances, and to find out things like. Lee Harvey Oswald, in my opinion, and it's kind of been teased out, he was working, if not a full-on official for the CIA, worked with or for the CIA. Um, he was basically set up, never fired a single shot, was kind of moved around for years and kind of sheep-dipped. And, you know, I, I've always wondered, bro, as in, the, in some of the trailers for your movie, uh, I Killed JFK, Lee Harvey Oswald, as he's walking through, you know, the Dallas Police That's Department. Barry's movie. Barry's movie. Barry's movie. I'm sorry. What yeah, movie you were associated with. But he's just like you guys. I, I'm paraphrasing. I didn't do anything. I did not fucking do. I don't know what you guys have been told, but I've. I'm he, literally saying I'm a patsy, and I can only imagine his feeling being in the Texas school book, school book depository that day. Obviously, probably knowing Kennedy was coming through and knowing kind of he was being moved around, et cetera. But once he knew the blame was on him, I can only imagine him like you, mother. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. yeah. And then, and then to see like Jack Ruby run up to him, like, "Hey, Jack," because they knew each other, right? Jack Ruby and Alito. Right. And then he gets. I mean, it's it's such a crazy, crazy story. And again, as a kid, it really made me question so many things. Like, all right, I, I, of course, I still play by the rules, but it's like, why am I playing by the rules when you motherfuckers clearly aren't playing by the rules? You're killing the president under dubious circumstances and taking out hundreds of witnesses. I don't know. I always find it a compelling, compelling story. I had the pl- privilege. Of being able to interview Dr. Cyril Wecht. He's a forens- okay. forensic pathologist, still going at it today, almost 90 years old, still doing autopsies. And uh, he, he served on the House Select Committee on Assassinations, which basically deconstructed and shat all over the whole single bullet theory because mm-hmm. this single bullet that came out pristine created all these wounds. But that was that was so bucket list for me. That was one of the few interviews that I've done. Like I was standing up because I was just so jazzed. Oh, wow. And I, I like that. 
And yeah, I only Especially had when, like when that guy is just like, yeah, yeah, there's like three different exit wounds. Yeah, like, you know, like what's going on? And he's like, I we, he's like, I did so many tests with with the same kind of bullet, the Manluca Carcano bullet, and I shot it just into one like cotton wadding or a sheet bone, and it did this de- deformation of the bullet, but yet. These all these wounds came out with this pristine bullet, and it was so fascinating. It was around the same. It was within days of Justice Scalia dying, and he was like, "Man, there was no autopsy for Justice Scalia, and that's unheard of." And I mean, he had an interesting take on that. So if you go to the network here, ladies and gentlemen, check out my interview with Dr. Cyril Weck. Very fascinating. But um, yeah, bro. Um, so I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, I don't want to have you, you know, get yourself in trouble in this cancel culture. What are your thoughts on that event? What what was that? Was it him I, up there I, with his I'm shitty between, rifle? I'm between uh, the you know the the Cuban Bay of Pigs. They're upset with that. The Russians were upset. I'm between the the mafia being upset that he was uh, giving it to Marilyn Monroe, and I'm I'm also <laughs> part of the club that thinks the Federal Reserve was upset that he was trying to print a United States currency, not a federal reserve yeah. currency. There's a lot of sides you could. They're totally and one one of the I found after the Bay of Pigs, one of the people he fired, it was uh, CIA had Alan Dulles, Richard Bissell and a guy named Charles Cabell, who was like the deputy of operations for the CIA. And Charles Cabell's brother, Earl Cabell, was the mayor of Dallas at the time. And he was a part of moving, changing the parade route, which moved him into the sniper's nest. And it was, yeah, so many players involved. And that's almost kind of, and I'm, I'm going to drop this here because I could go on forever, but that's kind of how these things happen with plausible deniability. They create so many different layers where you're like, yeah. hey, it could be these guys, could be these, because he did piss off a lot of people, but you almost yeah. utilize that and put all these players involved to like, we don't know where to point the finger, but it clearly wasn't this guy in the fifth floor with this piece of shit right. Italian rifle. Watch it, watch it be all three, and the CIA is just pulling the strings, being like, "By the way, he's going to be here." I mean, that's that's essentially kind of what it sounds like, because they had been working with the mafia, going back to Lucky Luciano, you know, guarding the docks in New York. I mean, yeah. Anyway, I found it interesting. I'm so glad that you you made this. I'm going to watch it tonight, man. So, what else you got up coming up, Max? You got uh, what, what's on the agenda for Max Mulian? God, I'm I'm just sitting here trying to get everyone auditions. Uh, I, I've I've got a little place out here in New Mexico because. Netflix bought 450 acres out here and the studios. They're building 10 more sound stages and a whole back lot. Really? So I'm hoping New Mexico might be the next mini Atlanta. It's an hour from Burbank if you fly. You know, JetBlue used to have a direct flight. I'm sure that'll come back after COVID. But I really think this little town has enough space to be a very cheap Hollywood. Well, and I think I saw Arizona was extending like tax credits. What are your thoughts on so much being made outside of Hollywood now, whether it's, you know, uh, Louisiana, Atlanta, now New Mexico, all these tax credits that they're being, you know, giving to filmmakers to incentivize them coming to produce there. And so little now is made in Hollywood. I think it's great because it gives people and, 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 and actors in those little towns that would never have a shot of getting anything near Hollywood. You know, because they got families or they got jobs or they got to take care of their parents or something like that. And now all of a sudden you got like Stranger Things filming in your backyard. And you can go <laughs> and be an extra and kind of see what that's like and like, you know, maybe get upgraded or something like that. Like, it's just, I think it's amazing. And then, you know, if you, if you really love it, then you, you know, start guiding the ship towards that career. Well, that'd be cool to tap into it, you know, to have your shop set up there before it really starts popping off. Because here in Missouri, you know, that's as a SAG actor, I was just talking to my Aiden today. I'm like, it's kind of not pointless to 
have a representation here in St. Louis because there's just no SAG work here because there's no after they made uh, I think it was up in the air with George Clooney it brought in tens of millions here to the economy and that's what yeah. does to all these different states they got rid of the tax credits I'm like why would you do something that takes they money did out of that this- in Miami. They did it in Iowa. I mean, they've done yeah. it in Michigan. I mean, it's several different states. I mean, it's out, de- definitely outside of my pay grade, but it's very cool to see that happening because it definitely does a stimu- – it stimulates the economy in some of these places. It's really cool. Yeah, it's uh, – I just think it's great to give people who need to shine opportunities to shine, you know? And there's talent everywhere, man. There's talent yeah. everywhere. Little nooks and crannies out here in this great country. Well, Max, do you want to shout out any social networking where we could track you down or follow you, or you just want to lay in the cut? Uh, you can hit me up on Instagram. It's M-A-X-X-L-I-O-N. Uh, don't be offended by my memes. I didn't make them. I just curate them. <laughs> I, I, I always tell my, my clients, I'm like, if you see me posting a lot of memes, that's my smoke break. Like, I don't smoke, but that, like... I need to reset the brain when I'm, I read like a, a 40 uh, character breakdown and I'm submitting all these people and writing all these pitches. I'm like, I need a break. So yeah, yeah. that so is taxing. Man. Silly things. Well, yeah. I appreciate all the work you do, man. And I think it's really cool that, like you said, you take chances on new up and coming talent and not necessarily try to go for the biggest of the big. Cause you know, the new stars got to come from somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Well, Max Mullion, I appreciate your time, my brother. Um, shout out to my man Ray Yee that helped facilitate, facilitate us getting together. I had him on the show uh, a couple months ago or a month or so ago, but I wish I gotta you... listen. I gotta listen to that episode because every Monday and Friday he kicks my butt in kickboxing, and I'm like, I gotta, yeah. I gotta know your background. Dude, he is so next level. I'd love to get out there and just like work with him a little bit. I the fact that he works with Dan and Asanto, who was like one of Bruce Lee's first students, I, and and Ray's just super super good people, man. I've I've yeah. been able to chat with him a few times. So anyway, thank you Ray for hooking this up, and thank you again Max, and I wish you nothing but the best, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on and then listen to my bullshit for a little bit. That's quite all right, man. It's been Max Mullion, ladies and gentlemen. Check out uh, all of his work if you can. Tony Tango, if you find it online. And I Killed JFK. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Peace and so much love, guys. Till next time. Respect.